Snap Studios. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the name your price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Snappers, it's your boy Glenn Washington. And for this episode of Snap, we're going to mix things up. Instead of several distinct stories, we're going to stick with just one But this true tale spans four countries, five decades, and goes places that I still can't wrap my head around. I believe the word is epic. We're calling it Return to Cuckoo Island. It began in 1970s Vietnam when Karina Huang was just a teenager. Our own Liz Mack takes it from here. Snap Judgment. Growing up the daughter of a lieutenant colonel in Vietnam, Karina Huang had it all. Oh, yes. <laughs> I even had our nanny to wash my hair for me. I had long hair. I never had to wash my own hair. We have um, a cook to cook for us. We have cleaners to clean the house. We have a driver to drive us around. We have a gardener who lives in the house to look after our garden for us. It was quite a, a um, privileged life that we had lived. To go from having a civilized lifestyle into the jungle, um, it was hard. And then there's nothing can prepare us for that. This was the early 1970s, and you probably know what happens. The Vietnam War, and then the North Vietnamese took over the country and imposed communist rule. People were leaving the country by the tens of thousands. But not Karina's family. Her dad was in prison, and her mom had to take care of the youngest kids in the family. So they found a way for Karina, her 12-year-old brother Saigon, and her 10-year-old sister Mimi to escape. So when she was just 16, Karina led Saigon and Mimi onto a boat. It was 1979. It was packed with people. We sat with knees to our chin. There was no room to move around or stress your legs. Not even the captain knew where the boat would end up. Everyone just knew they were all getting out of Vietnam. Karina and her siblings spent the next week at sea at the bottom of a ship packed with 373 passengers. It was harrowing. That first night, there was a violent storm. Uh, At one point, everybody thought, that's it, we're all going to die. And people started to throw up on each other and relief on each other and scream and cried and prayed, called out to Jesus, Virgin Mary, Buddha, ancestors, you name it, that sound. It's just playing in my head like a a song. And I just prayed along with everybody else. Please save us over and over and over again. Karina thinks it was the third day when they saw land. Malaysia. 
She says as they headed to shore, military men intercepted their boat. And um, they went on our boat to take our valuables. She had her mother's jewelry sewn into her underclothes, but her brother wore a gold necklace. One of the men saw it and put a gun to his neck. I kept saying to him, um, literally begging him, I kept saying, đừng bắn, đừng bắn, đừng bắn, đừng bắn means don't shoot. And I gave him the gold necklace. And then they tow our boat to their boat. They pull us back to the ocean. They cut the rope and left, but they want us not to return to Malaysia. Turned away, they ran out of food and drinking water, and people began to die. On day eight, they saw Indonesia. When they got close to shore, everyone jumped off the boat. The captain sank it so no one could push them back. But Indonesia was overwhelmed with Vietnamese refugees. So while officials told them they could stay, they also said they would move everyone to a refugee camp. For Karina, that meant she and her siblings could finally stop running and be taken care of. So the three of them climbed aboard one last boat. The boat trip was long. It was hours until we got to um, this island. And from a distance, we looked and we saw this half-moon-shaped island with nice sand beach and trees. And then as it's come closer, the captains turned around. We were told to swim into the shore. So everybody get off the boat with all our belongings and swim into the shore, all soaking wet. We just spread out on the sand beach. And we looked around. It was a jungle. We didn't see any shelters, any huts, any camp. It was just an an island with trees and bushes and in front of us was the ocean. That's not a refugee camp. The island was completely deserted. There were no buildings, no paths, no sign of human life at all. It was completely wild. And after we disembarked, the boat just took off. So we sat there for hours and wondering what happened. And then the night fell very quickly. There was a heavy storm that came down that night. Karina, Mimi, and Saigon slept on the beach in the pouring rain. When they woke up the next day, they waited on the sand, still in their wet clothes. They were scared of the jungle behind them and what animals might be in it. They couldn't go forward into the endless sea in front of them. So, trapped on the beach, Karina kept an eye out for the boat. She thought it would come back. Everyone did. No one came back, no words from anyone, no sign of any boats around us. By the third day, people started to realize that maybe this is where we're going to be staying. The name of the island was Kuku. It's spelled K-U-K-U. It was actually Kuku Beach, just a section of the coast on the larger Jamaja Island. But when you're stranded on a beach, on an island, in the middle of the ocean with jungle all around you and no way of getting around, that beach is pretty much the only thing you know. So they called it Kaku Island. On Kaku, there were no tools, no food reserves, no toilets. The refugees only had the things they'd brought with them. And those were the things they had to help them survive. 
the the people that were on that boat they were not farmers they were intellectual people business people tradesmen they had no idea how to live off the land there were a lot of coconut trees but we can't climb up the trees to get the coconuts and also we got them down we didn't have knives or anything to chop the coconut with i'm not a good swimmer so i was scared of swim out there to 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 catch anything i couldn't fish or hunt i didn't have any tools i was scared of snakes and animals i was afraid of going to the jungle but some people did venture into the jungle and that's where they found a creek although food was still scarce so in the beginning Karina and her siblings lived off the supplies they had brought with them at first we lived on the ramen noodles every day Karina would open up a packet of ramen and break it into four corners and for one meal the three of them all together would share one corner of the packet they'd boil it in salt water until it expanded trying to make the most of what little they had we tried to save them and eat very frugally a little bit at a time just to keep us alive we saw a boat that came toward the shore we were so excited with oh my god they finally came for us but it turned out to be another boat of refugees like us more and more vietnamese boat people kept arriving on that island even though they were in the middle of nowhere they weren't the only ones indigenous fishermen from the other islands found them on their small boats they offered to trade fish and vegetables and tools for whatever jewelry the refugees had left and using those tools they started to build shelter and then they went to the jungle and chopped down trees and branches and leaves to make huts with but shelter wasn't enough soon disease began to spread when we had to go to the bathroom we just went to the ocean but then soon uh, we realized that that just not safe and clean their waste would wash back up on shore that's when people went up to the jungle instead and that created the problem of flies we called it fly island flies everywhere sometimes when we lay down and take a nap in the afternoon we could be covered by fly from head to toe pitch black it spread the disease much wider and faster very quickly people caught malaria and diarrhea um people started to die on that island after day number 10 we um became dehydrated and because we didn't have enough to eat or drink our body just shrunk very quickly and um there were a period where all i did every day was just try to find something to eat and then take care of um our diarrhea situation Karina would spend her day cleaning and emptying this one bucket of waste taking it to the ocean to clean bringing it back for her brother and sister to use and then taking it out to clean again When you have this kind of routine every day, do you ever kind of reach some kind of equilibrium where it's like, well, this is normal? It's never normal. In those first few days, Karina saw an eight-month-old baby die. When she first died, her body was still warm, and I washed her and put clothes on her, and she started to get colder and stiff. The man, I don't know where he got the tool, but he found some wood and he made a box for her 
and I line up that box with um, some plastic bags that the parents had and um, her clothes to make it soft and comfortable for her. And then I put it in the box and she lay there like a doll. We haven't been eating for a couple of days, very little drinking water. My sister and my brother just lay there like dead bodies. They just whispered and they said, I'm so thirsty, I'm so hungry and so weak. Many times I thought we're not going to make it. But for some reason, I was so um, determined that no matter what, I will not die before my sister and my brother because I need to stay alive to look after them. Sometimes I picture my sister and my brother, these two little kids, so weak and vulnerable and alone to bury me, especially when I see people dying around me. For months, everyone on that island kept wondering would anyone from the outside world ever know we were here that would come and rescue us? As they grew weaker and weaker, they still managed to hang on. They survived on fish and lizards and whatever else they could hunt. They made slingshots to pelt bats with. So they survived for one month, two months, then three. And one day we heard the sound of a helicopter, and we look up and there was a helicopter with the sign of Red Cross um, flying around. And people were jumping up and down, screamed and just waved. And it's, it's almost like um, you have had a drought for so long and then all of a sudden rain came down and everybody looked up and just tried to, you know, taste that water and, and take it in. And the next day there was a ship came in with medicines and with cabbage and fresh tuna. And that's when we knew that um, we would be okay. People found us now. We were, we will be okay. And uh, we survived, all three of us. Karina, Saigon, and Mimi stayed on the island for five more months. And during that time, Kaku started to become the refugee camp everyone had expected in the very beginning. Finally, they had food to eat. They had blankets. They had papers and plans to resettle to America. You've asked me what it was like the day I left Google. We each had a bag of our belonging um, that we carried with us. Then we went to the pier and um, our friends would come to say goodbye or I would run around the island trying to find people that I know to say goodbye to them. We were jumping up and down, saying, we gotta go, we gotta go, we're going to America. We're leaving now. I was just just happy that we finally got out of there. I was just happy that I get to leave Google. Now that they had survived, they could move on. The thing is, once you've come this close to dying on an island, you never can really leave it behind. Did you ever think, I have unfinished business, you know, like something will bring me back? No, I never thought I would ever see Google again or desire to. 
life after Kaku Island. When Snap Judgment returns, stay tuned.